This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to Race and the Renaissance, part of the Renaissance of Men podcast. When I started this conversation series with my friend Jonathan West of the Being Husband podcast, I went in without expectations. I just knew that much like men and women, black people and white people have lived together in America for a long time. But also like men and women, it seems like black people and white people don't know much about each other, mostly what we see on TV and in the mainstream media, which of course can't even get 2 plus 2 right these days. But once Jonathan and I started talking as equals, as friends, and as men, I wondered what I would learn from him, him from me, and us together. Well, just like every time I go into something without expectations, the results have been rewarding. First, I learned about the black manosphere which is an adaptation of red pill principles for the needs of the black community, which to me is incredibly exciting, as I've long stated that it's my personal goal with this project to see warrior cultures of the world rise again in a global renaissance. Second, talking to Jonathan is like getting a window into the private conversations that black men have amongst themselves, which helps me reflect on the values of masculinity I learned from my upbringing, but from a different perspective. And third, it helps me see what of the contemporary propaganda around the black experience isn't true, and more importantly, what is. All three of these points and more arose from our chat this week. In this podcast, we discuss the success of YouTube star Kevin Samuels and how black women's attitude of I don't need no man is damaging the black community. The spiritual war within the black community and the ways that community is exploited and oppressed, possibly as part of a darker agenda how the social experiment of feminism doubly impacted the black family, just as they were coming up in the 1960s, and finally, Malcolm X's philosophy of considered versus treated equal, and how that plays into what Jonathan is going to teach his son about sovereignty and identity. All of this is edgy territory, possibly for both me and Jonathan, but stepping bravely into the unknown is what adventurers have done throughout all of time. And since we live in an era where the surface of the earth has been almost totally explored, I believe the next frontier of exploration is in the boundary spaces between cultures living together on our shrinking planet. I'm grateful to be adventuring with Jonathan, together. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to Race and the Renaissance, Episode 2, with my friend Jonathan West of the Being Husband Podcast. Hey, Jonathan, it's good to talk to you again. Hey, it's good, good to be here, man. It's, it's been a minute. It's, it's been a, a little bit, man. It's been a minute. Yeah, but I, I like the time that we've waited because we've been like thinking about it. We've been kicking it back and forth. Like, when's a good time to have another one of these conversations? I think it actually, the timing worked out perfectly. I agree. I 100% agree. And you're on the road and, and, and being a rock star and, and that kind of thing. Man, you got your, you got your chest out, man. You're looking, you're looking Hollywood right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to feel Hollywood. I've got my little, those little shades that cover your eyes with the little, with the little <laughs> the sun reflector thing. Well, I don't actually have that. I love it, man. Well, before we jumped on, we were talking about uh, Kevin Samuels and uh, 
a little bit about the Black Manosphere, which is something that I had heard about maybe six to nine months ago, but I hadn't actually explored very much. And it's mm -hmm. actually really interesting to me to discover that there's a lot more going on than I expected just in terms of content creators. But one thing I haven't really explored very much yet is, is the nature of the subjects that are covered in that particular side, I guess, of the men's movement. So this is this whole new field of study for me that just mm -hmm. keeps unfolding as I as I explore it. And so let's just, um, we've been talking about Kevin Samuels a bit, so let's just jump in there and see where we go. Yeah, I, I, well, so the, the Kevin Samuels phenomenon, because it is a phenomenon, what he's been able to do, um, it's like a perfect mix between and this is what I say. It's a perfect mix between like Jerry Springer um, and Oprah. And it's him. It's just a man. And the reason why, because it's got a it's got a talk show feel because Kevin Samuels, he's got a suit. He's got a tie. The music is like jazz. It's very clean, um, very buttoned up in regards to like the aesthetics of it. Um, but the subjects that he's touching on are ones that um, we don't get into as a culture really very much like there's a lot of assumptions right and one of the assumptions is is that uh black women are strong and that's not that's not a bad thing to be strong but the 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 idea is is that black women are strong therefore they don't need no man that's like a very common trope in our community and so as a result you have a lot of women in our culture that that see the black man as useless, basically, that he's not, he doesn't really bring anything to the table that's unique. There's really no need for him um, in, in regards to, you know, raising children or the, the advancement of, of the family at all. And so what Kevin Samuels was able to do on his, <laughs> his, uh, his YouTube channel and his podcast is he's able to really poke at that idea and say, how has this been benefiting us? How has this moved our culture into a state of progress? How has this actually helped our community at all be able to be influential in the culture? And, and, and what are you going to do about it now that you've consumed this toxic Kool-Aid? Mm -hmm. Now that you've consumed this, what are you gonna do? Because you're reaching a point in your life cycle where it's gonna be really hard for you to get married. And particularly because you're not going to tolerate just any man when you get to a certain age. Right. And that's one of the things that he talks about, basic red pill stuff. Like when you get to be, you know, 35, there's the wall or whatever the thing is. But his perspective is, is like you're you're 35 and you're making this much. The average man makes this much. And so you're just not going to tolerate any kind of man. But you've 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 so beat the war drum that men aren't uh, shit. <laughs> right. For lack of a better term, you so beat that war drum that now. That's actually your worldview. And so you're going to look at any man uh, from an economic standpoint, social standpoint as beneath you. And that's really problematic for us. Mm. So I guess that's a that's a surprise for me to hear that that, mm. that idea, which is so much a part of, um, I guess, mainstream culture like or, or non-black culture. I guess let's put it that way to hear that it's so in the black community as well, that even black women look down on black men like that's that's really heartbreaking and i wouldn't have thought that that was the case but then i don't have insight in the community but like to hear that is that's really hard to hear and 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 surprising in a really bad way i mean yeah. i guess i wouldn't there's no way that i would be able to kind of see that manifesting in the same way that that you do but like what a what a tragedy like i, mm -hmm. I don't know how to process that yeah it it really is man and and it's a tragedy because um and, and I mean, you've talked about this offline before, 
and I have no issue, let, let me put a disclaimer, I have no issue on interracial relationships, anything like that. I think that those are great. That's, amen, right. praise the Lord, hallelujah. Like, I think all that's good. Um, but when, you, when, we, when we're talking about uh, us advancing as a people group, right, or, or, or having, because there's a lot of conversation about us having representation, politically, socially, economically. Um, the way in which that's like, so the idea of white privilege, right? That's what we talk about. That white privilege is this thing that's almost has a conspiratorial nature to it. But really what it comes down to is, is economics uh, or, or at least legacy economics. Because the reason why, say, uh, you or, or someone else is, you know, maybe put in positions, you know, going to certain schools and, and have certain opportunities and things in large part is because of the work of your, your father and your mother. Right. And so that's, you were able to be placed in uh, better educational situations. And as a result, those educational situations put you in better jobs. And as a result, better jobs means more money. And, and so there's, there's this legacy that's kind of, it, my, my, my main point is no one's really up by their bootstraps in, in any, like any, not in a real sense. Like there's, you are where you are in large part because of the groundwork that your father and your mother laid for you. Potentially. Yeah. Or grandmother or grandfather, like or grandmother or grandfather. Yeah, right? My parents came over, you know, they were impoverished coming from Europe, whatever in the early, in the late 18th century or late 19th century, something like that is, you know, mm -hmm. Jewish immigrants from Poland and in Eastern Europe and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And over time that, uh, those, those values as well as, you know, maybe even some inheritance grew, right. Yeah. And so that's that's the same model that we could be taking. But the issue that we've got is that, you know, from an ethnic standpoint, we've got a whole half of us, right? The women in our culture that don't think we bring anything valuable to the table um, and they don't think we're good for anything other than, you know, having babies with. And that's a really unfortunate, very, very unfortunate side effect of a multitude of things. It's, it's so multifaceted because of what a lot of folks will talk about, um, you know, a lot of folks will bring up, you know, the idea of a welfare queen, right? A woman that, that has babies just so that she can get, you know, government checks for each one of her kids. Mm -hmm. uh, that whole concept. Straw man. And, huh? Straw man, straw woman argument. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's deeper than that. Um, because even that goes back to, well, how was that woman raised, right? And then we get back to, into the generational wealth and not necessarily monetarily, but also in terms of values. Like we get into that conversation as well. And like, how did, how did that young lady, you know, come up with the idea that this was a good, a good thing to do? If, if, if she did come up with that, cause maybe that's not something that she's actually scheming. That's just a, a reality of what she's seen around her is something that she needs to get into. Um, and so that's a really big, that's a really big issue is this idea of white privilege being inherently, okay, that's something that they do in terms of passing down generational wealth, knowledge, and values. That's something that they do. That's not something that we do. Um, and so the minute, and this is, this is me talking. So this is the second issue. The minute that you as a black person deviate, cause there's a distinction to be had that, that would be called, they call all of, they call all of that culture, black culture. So every black person thinks this way. Okay. Every black person is supposed to think this way, okay. that you're supposed to dance to certain music or listen to certain music or have certain ideas about the way in which this is, you know, white people do the generational wealth thing. You know, black people, they get money and then they spend it. That's what we do. Like, it's, it's, it, 
It's an assigned identity is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so when you deviate from the assigned identity, right, the pack, then you're looked at as being not black, right? I'm not black because my wife and I chose to live in a neighborhood <clears throat> that has a low crime rate and that is close to rural America. Yeah. We're not black because of that. And that in and of itself is super dangerous because what that's saying is using tools that are proven to pass down generational wealth, to pass down values, to pass down wisdom, and to put my family tree in a better position economically and otherwise, that being tied to an ethnic thing means that I don't have access to be able to use the same tools that advance another people group. So who, do, so who do I have left to depend on to put me in that situation? I have the state mm. or I have, you know, hopefully my, my job and my wages. Hopefully I can make it, you know, in this job and grow in the company. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully somebody gives me a break or hopefully I can be a rapper and make a lot of money or hopefully I can be an athlete and make a whole lot of money. Not hopefully I can work in the service industry, save enough money, invest it, and then pass that down to my kids moving forward. No, no, no. That's not what we do. What we do is we get someone else to give us a break, be it seeing us on the ball field, be it seeing our talent, or be it that, uh, you know, the state gives us our quote unquote reparations, our 40 acres and a mule. And that's a weak position. I don't want that for my kids. For my son, Easton will not be a guy that is waiting for someone to do something for him. He will be, as me and you've talked about offline, a man of agency, a man of consequence, a man that embraces his God-given sovereignty, because that's the only thing that's going to put somebody in a position. Nobody ever gets in good economic or social positions because they're waiting on a break. They get there because they work with people that are willing to help them, and particularly their parents, or at least their grandparents. This is a, I mean, that's an absolute, that's an absolute tragedy. I mean, I've seen that. I've seen that attitude, you know, manifest in the political sphere where, you know, like Candace Owens talks about it, regardless of, you know, you know, whatever we may feel about Candace Owens or political, sure. that, but it's <laughs> talked about is that, you know, I mean, I think she, she talks about like her grandfather was a sharecropper or something like that and taught her values to save and achieve. And she's, and as soon as she starts saying like, these are my values, you know, she, she did a whole video, I think it was for PragerU about her black card. Like, I guess I got my black card taken away. Like, you know, and, and I guess the question that comes up for me about that is, is kind of twofold. So it's like, there's this, I believe there's this natural tendency within, within communities and within people, within people towards health, right? Towards, towards economic, social, spiritual health. And when yeah. it's not going towards health, it's being acted upon by some outside force. Like it's being poisoned, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, um, so within the black community, what are the sources of this poison? Like that keeps pushing the poison into the community that says, we think this way and not that way. Because I feel like these ideas would naturally fall away if, if there weren't influencers within the community enforcing these cultural norms from some, some hierarchical position. Like, does that exist? Yeah, for sure. I, I, so <clears throat> I, I think putting it squarely on, because a lot of people will say, well, it's the, it's the media that we consume. And I think that doesn't go deep enough because the it's not just the rappers that 
you know, are putting this stuff out. It's the labels, but it's not just the labels, it's the label owners. And it's not just the label owners, but it's a whole, their, the label owner's whole mindset as to, to why that they think this is a good idea. And it's not, and it's not just profit driven either. That's what a lot of people think is that this is just about money. It's like, yeah, it is to some degree, but in me, you've talked about this before. There is a spiritual war happening and you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm going to just go full send. Um, I really think that there are people that intentionally program black people, or at least I should say put out programs towards black people as a form of some kind of occult worship. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that there's definitely a layer of that. And so you, you can put a tinfoil hat on me if you want to, but the evidence is right there. I mean, Dave Chappelle spoke on this a little bit ago. There's a, there's a video that's out right now that says there were guys, execs in his room that were saying, Hey, you know, we want you to dress up in female clothes. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm funny. I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to you know, change my sexual orientation or at least my sexual display in order to get people to laugh at me. I have jokes of my own. And I got really frustrated with him about that. And his, his takeaway was that there's, there's something going on in the media that's deeper than just revenue. Like there's, 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 there's an intentional inversion about there's an intentional inversion on things that are actually good and true and beautiful about humanity in general. And if we can get, a certain people group to fully embrace any people, if we can get anybody, but if we can get a certain people group to embrace an inverted reality, um, we could probably take that, (laughs) we could probably take that same uh, formula and then apply it to other people groups as well. And I think that that's really what's been done with us is almost a, uh, a beta test, if you will, to see, well, if we can, if we can mass manipulate uh, mind control of people group uh, so well and so effortlessly just by media, just by um, a myriad of different things. We can do that just with media. Who else can we do it to? We can do that with just black folks. Who else can we do that to? Hmm. That makes a lot of sense because I can see how it would kind of be a weapons proving ground for these, for these memes or these ideas, like how we've developed all these, um, mm-hmm. all these, I guess you might call them ideological visual weapons. Like it's well documented the amount of occult symbolism, hip hop, and, okay. and so many different rappers talk about selling their souls and Lil Nas X, you know, in that video where he's twerking, <laughs> you know, and it's like Kid Cudi, you know, performing on SNL in a dress. And you can look at all the photos of like Tupac and the stories that are going on there. And it's just like, okay, we're going to test we're going to test out our weapons on this community and then we'll, we'll expand it to the rest of the public. I can totally, I can totally see that. That makes a lot of, a lot of tragic sense. It, it, and I think that, and that's the reason I didn't really get into Cause here's the thing, man, like I could go down the litmus test of all the occult symbols, but it's like, we don't have that much time to go over all of that. Like that's like a three, four, five, day series about all the occult symbols that go on the whole, you know, hand over the eye thing, all of that stuff, man. Like it's, yeah, man, it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And you got kids doing it and they don't even know what they're doing. I mean, it's, it's, 
It's everywhere. And the reality is, is that that's not, that's not like us, or at least it doesn't have to be us is what I'm saying. What I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do with BH and even just in my own family is um, men young, like, so my son Easton, when he's born, um, I'm going to tell him from a young age, like God made you in his image. And because of that, you have both value and you have responsibility to maintain that sovereignty. Mm-hmm. No one else is going to maintain that for you. In fact, many people will want to take that from you and give you a new identity, mm-hmm. a whole new identity. Mm-hmm. And what's going to be critical for you as a young man is to never, ever let that happen, to protect that with your life mm-hmm. because it is your life. Mm-hmm. That's, you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. And that, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound like values that are frequently expressed in the black community, or at least haven't been, you know, for the past, say, maybe mm-hmm. you know, since 2016, potentially. You know, I think there was a big split in the black community about people who were voting for Trump, as particularly around what in, in the 2020 <laughs> election as well, you know. That's like, well, because I went, I went to a rally, you know, mea culpa. You know, I went to a rally in in, in uh I think it was late October in Phoenix. And, uh, you know, I, I, at the very minimum, I had to check out the phenomenon. You know what I mean? And right. so, you know, as I was there, like and, you know, this was in Phoenix and, uh, you know, there were, there were black people there and they were looking around, like, do we belong here? Or are we in danger? <laughs> I can imagine they probably went home or were telling their friends or whispering like, Hey, you know, like I'm not voting for Biden, you know what I mean? But these mm-hmm. ideas of sovereignty naturally flow from that. And it just doesn't seem, it's something that, you know, all communities in America are kind of struggling with, but it sounds like, it sounds very unusual to hear a black person talking about sovereignty in that way, you know, because it's just, there's not something antithetical, but it's like, oh, wow. I, you know, it's just not something that's talked about. Like usually that's like, you know, right wing, alt right people talking about that. It's like, no, these are pretty universal ideas. Universal. And I would say masculine ideals. Right. And so I would, I would, I would say, I would say that it is the nature of a masculine man to like, I mean, you've talked about it, right? The hero's journey, going off into the woods and figuring out what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what that looks like and what it's looked like for me is, um, you know, going out and getting into farming, going out and getting into hunting, right? That, that's been my hero's journey. That's been a pretty stark break from what I'm supposed to be doing. You know what I'm saying? And I did that not because I'm trying not to be black or I'm trying to be, you know, fit in. And that's, that's the thing too. And me and you talked about this last time. Um, I'm not seeking validation from white people. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is that they think, Oh, Jonathan's a token. He wants people to like him. He wants white people to like him. That may have been the case for me when I was younger because that's what everybody's trying to do. Everybody's trying to fit in when they're younger. You know what I mean? Um, but I I don't go out of the way to make anybody like me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. I really do. I, I actually don't care because like yeah. I put down a dough and then I put it in my freezer. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't like me, I don't care. Like I'm eating venison tacos. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care if you don't like me, like, you know what I'm saying? And that's where I think a lot of um, us don't go because going there would mean a rejection 
a, a group rejection. That's actually a very powerful tool to have group reject, to have an entire group that looks like you reject you because you're wanting to make a conscious individual sovereign decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's very, that's a hard road. It's, it's a lonely road to do that, but such is the nature of masculinity. I think that has to be the thing that you have to do as a black man. You actually will have to do that. You'll have to make decisions that people are going to call you crazy for. People got upset with me because full candor here, I, I voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. Me too. People got upset with me for doing that. Um, but it wasn't something that I was looking to get approval for or praise for. I was doing it. And I'm going to tell you why I was doing it because I wanted to make the decision that I knew was going to be the best for my family. Because at the end of the day, God is going to hold me accountable, not for how cool I fit in with everybody, but for whether or not I provided and protected for my, my, my family. And if I don't, if I, if, if I, if I am cool with the culture, whatever that is, Right. If I'm cool with the culture and the culture accepts me, but I've not protected my family. That's big time judgment for that. Big time judgment for that. I'm held accountable for the direction of my wife. Now, granted, I'm not their ticket into heaven by any means. I don't believe that as a Christian. But in terms of the influence, in terms of the grounding, in terms of the pattern that's being set, that's on me. And so if that means rejecting what's cool for the culture then that's what the hell it's got to mean because <laughs> I'm laying the groundwork that God's given me to do. And um, I don't want to be found acting in a way that is antithetical to that. I don't want to be found in a way where I was seeking approval over seeking what was good. Well, I think the phrase that I'm thinking of is that you're a man first and then mm-hmm. you're a man who happen, who happens to be black or a man who is black. 100%. I'm black and then I'm a man. Right? <laughs> yes. I'm a black man who's a Christian. It's like I'm a Christian man who's black. Like this is yeah. the order of operations of your, of your psyche, of your consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. But the man is the, – the notion of being a man is above whatever, you know, I guess racial identity you have. And you know, it's the same for me. And we talked about this in one of our chat rooms. It's like, you know, I was born Jewish and, and, and Jews have their own particular, their own particular tribal identity. But I, you know, as I began exploring this world of, of, of personal development of the Renaissance, you know, I discovered like, I'm a man first and then I'm Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. And me being a man first led me down the path of Christianity. My loyalty to, towards my development as a man and really my loyalty towards God in that way I placed above my Jewish identity. And so I abandoned the Jewish religion to the extent that I have it. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't particularly plugged into the Jewish community to begin with, but you know, to actually meet a Jew down the line, it's like, Oh wait, you're Christian now. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a little different because it doesn't show up on my skin color in the same way that does. But like, I can relate in a way because like, Oh, well, you're not really one of us anymore. It's like, how can that be true? Like, look at me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> realize that my Jewishness was based on a faith that you don't have. And so I can relate very much. It's actually perfect that we're talking about this in a way. No, it, it is. You, you understand. And, I, and I, honestly, circling back to KS, man, I think that that's um, what I think is so interesting about, uh, say, the Black Manosphere, because 
we're actually taking, which, because the ministry, as you've documented, is, or the, I would say the whole renaissance has been going on, as you said, since the mythopoetic men's movement, right? Which was in the 70s, that what you said? Things kind of started in the 70s and they really got moving in the mid 80s is when things really got, the mythopoetic thing really exploded. So would you say like the red pill PUA stuff is maybe like the last 20 years plus, somewhere thereabouts? Yeah, the PUA stuff was the end of the 20th century. So like 1999, 2005, red pill stuff was maybe 2005 to early red pill stuff was 2005 to 2010. And the Manosphere has kind of been the past like 10 or 12 years slowly. It's kind of shades of gray. But yeah, pickup artist is 2000. Red pill stuff was like 2005, roughly. Yeah. And this was mostly the information being shared. I mean, maybe there was black guys involved, but it was mostly like white guys, right? And so it was interesting because I think that when you look at the black manosphere and kind of how it's developed over time, it was almost as though like we, a few of us kind of like reached in there and like got some of the tools and then brought it back, brought it back and maybe added some flavor to it. It's kind of how I look at KS. <laughs> I'm curious about that. Cause that's actually one of the questions I had is like, well, to what extent is the black manosphere dealing specifically with issues in the black community and to what extent is it just like a clone of everything in the rest of the manosphere like what what point do they overlap and what point like no this is our particular issues that aren't expressed elsewhere that's a good question um i don't so i really don't think there's anything particularly unique mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. except for the fact that there are I would say, again, and me, you've talked about this before too. Um, I would call feminism a social experiment mm-hmm. at best, yeah. right? <laughs> and that's putting it mildly, <laughs> but I would say that it's a social experiment. And so when you deal with social experiments, the people that get the, the short end of the stick, or at least the heaviest part of this hand, is the minority, right? The ones that are trying to claw their way up to you know, a good place in the social hierarchy. And so when you would introduce something like that into a, into a group of people that are actually trying to climb out of the mud, build generational wealth, build spiritual health, all of those things, you really kind of set them back. And they're like, wait a minute, I was just, I was just now kind of coming to the awareness on how important family is. But now you're telling me that my husband ain't shit. Now you're telling me that this, he's actually a, the patriarchy and that this man, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so it really kind of, it, it messed with us in a different way, a little bit heavier because we're just kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, coming out of the mud with a lot of that stuff. Like you, so, you know, if you can imagine a people group uh, being, you know, transatlantic slavery and we can, I mean, that's, we know that that's gone on. We know that slavery has gone on in multiple question, but just imagine this people, imagine it from, from our perspective is that you've got transatlantic slavery. You come here, slave for four or five generations, you get emancipated. And now it's like, okay, well, what do you do with that freedom? Right? Like now, okay, now we have to like figure out like how to cut, like we know how to do labor, right? Cause we did all the labor for, you know, for the whites, but it's like, how do we, how do we now enterprise ourselves? How do we incorporate ourselves? How do we develop ourselves to be positioned to be well-respected members in society. And that took, you know, maybe call it two, two, three generations to figure out. And then what you have is you started to actually get black wealth, right? You have examples like Black Wall Street, and then you have 
the fact that, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King, he didn't get his dissertation from Harvard because Harvard wasn't taking blacks back then. Mm. He got his dissertation from uh, what was it, Morehouse in Atlanta, which was the HBCU, a historically black college or university. And so there were land grants given to the government or given by the government to uh, blacks. And what kept that funded was not the land grants. I mean, they got the land from the government, but in order to keep that funded, there had to be some degree of black wealth that had to be created to sustain that and then get those men and women out of those programs and into society. And so you have this whole trajectory where we're kind of on an upward swing and then you introduce, you know, feminism in the midst of the sexual revolution. And we're just getting to a place where it's like, fuck man, like we're just getting to a place where we're on an upward swing. And now you introduce total confusion, total confusion, right? And you have an established people group that has really always been established, right? Because even though, like, granted, you had deviations, right? We're going to play with sexual revolution. We're going to play with feminism. But we know that the reality of the situation, grandma and granddad put us up on game. So we'll play with this for a little bit. Maybe we'll do this. But some of us in this community really understand what it takes to move the needle. And so we're going to do this while we're in college, but we're going to get back to reality in our 30s and 40s. But you have an entire people group that didn't really know the game, that didn't really know what it took and just began to figure it out. That ancestral wisdom had just started to be codified. And so you sprinkle that and now you have where we're at today, which, you know, black men ain't shit. You know what I mean? And, you know, we're going around and, um, you know, really belittling the 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 people that would be able to help us progress. And it's a really, it's, it's really a shame in that way. Um, Again, I I have no problem with interracial relationships or anything of that nature, but if you're just, if we're just talking about black people and, and their advancement, it begins and ends with the family and the family was destroyed with the sexual revolution for a lot of people groups, but especially in my community, especially in my community. You're breaking, you're breaking my heart and blowing my mind right now. Cause you're totally right. You're totally right. Because, you know, I remember, I remember looking at, uh, at the way that black people were dressed during the Martin Luther King marches, the rallies, you know what I mean? Button up shirts and ties. Dignified. Yep. Very dignified. And then, and, and that was, that was a whole thing. And so the, the marches would come together and it was really a chance for black people and white people to see each other and be like, oh, you're not so, you're not so different from me. And you're listening to the, I have a dream speech. And it's like all these, you know, that we can get into Martin Luther King separately, you know, cause <laughs> yeah. well, let's just take it on face value. So like, where they're like, oh yeah, no, this dream might actually be possible. We're not as different as we would have thought. And they really came together and did something, you know, really special for, for civil rights. Like that was a thing. That was a thing. Right. And so yeah. now, Black people finally get access to the levers of, we'll say, political power. I mean, and 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 which is the access to economic power as well and social power. All these really, all these really good things. Finally, getting a chance to really get two hands on the ladder properly, right? Totally. And uh, and then what comes along? But this giant social experiment. It's like you're trying to build a sandcastle, you know, and you're kind of just kind of put the first bucket on. You're, you're, you've got sitting next to someone else who's got this big sandcastle, and you're just putting your first bucket down, and the wave just comes and washes it away. Fuck, I totally get it. Fuck, that's fucking me up right now. It's 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 really it's really dastardly. Is what it is because because the thing and there's a guy there's a guy you should read if you're ever interested. Uh, his name's Dr. Claude Anderson. He's got a book called Powernomics. Um, he's a little bit more. It's, it's, 
Poweronomics by Claude Anderson. Um, and I don't obviously I don't agree with everything because I don't know that Claude is a Christian. Um, so there's there's a lot I don't agree with. But his his fundamental premise was that in order for us to actually have economic or uh, political representation and media representation, we first have to have a strong family and then a strong economy as a result. And Poweronomics is a book about that. Like in order for us to get these these places in society we've got to get the family back together and consequently the community and consequently an economy, right? So when we build that first, the family, the community, the economy, mm-hmm. we can then be able to get into these other areas. But what has happened because of, again, like, you know, the sexual revolution and, you know, even just the way politics are kind of played on us in some ways, like we're looking for the political and media representation when our own households are not in order, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we've, we've, we are, hypersexualized, you know, both in media and in reality, in person. And we, we don't take familyhood and, you know, the father and the mother and, and, and grandparents, seriously, we don't take that as something that's important for us to cherish and, and really strengthen. And so as a result, we get played. (laughs) Yes. A thousand percent. We get played because what a, what a father, I would say what a father is able to do, you know, if I could say, if I could say to the, the woman that says black men ain't shit or whatever, if I could say to her, you know, what, it, what, what a father does and what my father did for me is that when, when things go wrong in life, you have a responsibility to stay resolute, stay resolved and to trust God, mm-hmm. to work with your hands, to work that thing out. When you remove that grounding from the household, you get a young boy that is easily emotionally triggered. And what does he do? He goes in out of that frustration of not having the father, out of that frustration of being manipulated to think that the world is out to get him and destroy him. What does he do? He goes and burns fucking buildings down. He tears shit up. He busts cars up. And so what a lot of people want to do is they look at that and they say, see, that's exactly how they act, right? So somebody that would be racist per se. So that's exactly how they act. But what, what, what I would challenge people to look at is I would say, when you look at somebody behaving some way, you have to think about what led up to that. What led up to that young man, you know, burning that car and saying, fuck the police. What was, the, what's the reasoning by it? it's not merely, I mean, it is sin, right? Cause I'm a Christian. So it is sin, but, but is, is the sin squarely on him or was it sin that was passed down as well? Was it ancestral sin, right? What was it? Was it? And when I say passed down, I mean the, the, the sin perhaps of the father not being around, right? The sin of the, 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 the wife not wanting the father to be around, right? Like that's like, what you say, go ahead. <laughs> It's just like, no, I don't want you to be around. Like, thank you for your contribution to this, to, you know, the sperm to the egg and now get lost. Like, and that's a thing. That's a real big thing. Yeah, no, yo. So, so, so full transparency. Yeah. Like when I tell you that's common to block that, like that's very, very common. And coach, coach Greg Adams actually talks about this. um, and, And he was married to, you know, white woman, so it's not a huge deal in that regard, or it's not the same, I should say, in that regard, but he was blocked. Divorced from? Sorry, I didn't know that she was white. Yeah, she was a white lady. Um, 
Yeah. So, but she was blocking him from being able to see his kids. So like when my, my, my larger point, when I'm saying that is um, when you've got the state weaponizing motherhood mm-hmm. against fatherhood in the way that it's done, um, you, you detach a, an essential part to parenting, right? You need a father to, to ground you Tup- It's funny, man. Tupac even said it. Tupac was like, I feel like, and granted he's, we, we know about Tupac and, and everything he's got going on, but he even said, but he even said, he said, if I would have had my dad around, I feel like I would have been a better man. I feel like I would have made different choices. He said that. About yeah. his own father. Barack Obama said something similar. He didn't say he'd going to make better choices, but he said something about like, you know, there's no more powerful influence than a father or something like that. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, all you anti-male women, like <laughs> St. Barack Obama said this. I wonder, where did he go? Didn't, didn't he like disappeared, right? As soon as Joe Biden, you know, allegedly became president, Barack Obama, like, poof, bye. He's gone. Yeah, seriously. And, and, and I think, I think that we have to recognize that, that, that the, the necessity of, a father being able to bridle a son's anger, to be able to bridle a daughter's anger and be able to, to, to ease them in a way that, that a mother maybe, maybe is unequipped to do in some ways. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so what I see when, when I see BLM riots and things like that is I see a lot of young men that are angry that they did not have their father around and that are angry at the whole world, man, because the the world is against them and dad was not there to protect them. Mm-hmm. And so now that's what they have to do is they feel like that this is the only way that they're going to be able to get, you know, justice in some way. And, and granted, there are some of them that are, um, you know, just taking advantage of an opportunity. But that's when you actually watch some of these, you can these people are like some of these young black boys are broken. I mean, you look at their eyes and they're like, I mean, they're crying, like legitimately crying because they really think that white people are out to get them, that the world is overwhelmingly against them and there's nothing that they can do. Mm -hmm. They feel that way very viscerally. And what a father should be able to do is to say, son, you fell off the bike, get back up, dust it off. Let's try it again. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's let's get up. Let's get up. Let's get on with it. Let's let's move past the noise. Right. Let's not react. And, and you can cry. You can be hurt for a minute, but we're not going to we're not going to throw the bike down. Right. We're not going to slam it down on the ground. We're not going to kick it and yell it in inanimate objects. We're going to just say, let's let, let's figure out. Let's figure out how to get past this. Mm-hmm. And when you remove that from the home, it's, it's not a surprise what we see, I would say. Well, there, uh, it makes me think of those. Um, there are a couple of videos on YouTube that went viral. One was a few years ago. One was recently where it was a, uh, a young black boy uh, doing martial arts with his dad. Like one is, a, is a, the, the boy in the dojo, you know, and it was like really a really beautiful, touching father moment, universal father moment. It's like, why are you crying? Well, because it's hard or because it hurts. It's like, that's life. You've got to push through the pain. And the kid does it. It's like, fathers yeah. are awesome. You know what I mean? That father energy. And then there was another one I saw where it looked like the dad had like a GoPro on his chest and he was holding mitts for his son in like the driveway. 
same kind of thing. The boy's like five years old and he's like hitting the mitts and the boy starts crying because it's hard. He's like, well, keep trying. And then there's like cut, you know, to two and a half years later where the kid is like seven or 10 or something like that. I don't know how old it was. He's just wailing on the pads. It's like, this is what practice and dedication does. And those videos are really powerful just from an overall fatherhood perspective. But to hear you talk about what's going on in the black community, they're even more powerful as an example of like, no, this is what fatherhood actually is. And, you know, I guess, I guess the really hard question that I have to ask right now is you're talking about the black community identifying itself in certain ways. We don't pass along generational wealth. We don't believe in sovereignty, et cetera. Like this attachment to these ideas that are ultimately anti-human or self-defeating, right? Mm -hmm. Is there an attachment in the black community against fatherhood? Like we just don't have fathers around or is it something like, is it something that's being like worked on? Like, yeah, we actually need to work on this. Yeah. I would tell you, I recognize it. I can't say that all of us, I can't say that all of us do. There's a lot, let me, let me backtrack. There's a, like with, so obviously Kevin Samuels is making a huge dent as it relates to marriage and family and fatherhood, right? He's making a huge dent in regards to that conversation. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, and I don't, again, I don't care for Jay-Z. Like I know that he's kind of a puppet in this whole thing, but um, he has mentioned things about generational wealth and then fatherhood. Um, Kevin Hart has mentioned things. So there's definitely like rumblings of it, both in, you know, with Kevin Samuels and then like in like the celebrity sphere. But there, I think what has to be done beyond just talking about it is actually putting out content that would support it. Because that's where we're being programmed. That's where we're being catechized, right? To use Christian language, it's like, you know, you have a catechism, right? This is, you know, uh, you know, what's the chief end of man, right? And that is to, to, to serve the Lord with all our heart, right? That's, that, that's the, you repeat that to kids so much that it becomes a part of who they are and what they do. That's what catechizing is. And what we're really doing, or what media is really good at doing is catechizing uh, the youth, it's catechizing our kids, catechizing us, in fact. And so what I don't think is being catechized in our culture is, uh, you know, father, mother, kids. And that used to be something that was present. I think Bill Cosby was actually trying to do a lot of work with that, with the Cosby show. And it's a different world, right? Because he's, he's showcasing family and then he's showcasing, you know, going off and going to college, right? That that's something that's good for you to, to go off and, and see what you can make of yourself and, and that whole thing. Uh, and then Family Matters was also another show like that. And so there's, there's, you know, good times, even good times. I don't know if you, have you ever seen good times? No, I know. I know about it though. The father in good times. There's a, there was, I mean, literally the best episode and I, I have to find it so I can send it to you. The family comes down on hard times because the father loses the job, loses his job. And the mom is a stay at home. Like she's taking care of the kids, right? Cause this was normal. Used to, this was not, this was not like some hip behavior. It was like what people did back in the day. Cause it made sense. Um, but she's staying at home with the kids and she, and she says, what are we going to do? You lost your job. Like, do we need to go down to the, to the state so that we can get our welfare checking? And the dad says, we've been on hard times before. We'll probably be on there again. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find a new job. We're not going to the state. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and you could just, when you watch that episode, you can just 
feel the ease come over that family. And, and as a man, you can feel the weight that that father carried to say something like that. You know what I'm saying? And those lessons in TV programming are not there in the black culture. Most, I'm, mostly what we're watching and Candace Owens brings this up and maybe it's a straw man, maybe it's not. But the reality is I don't see family shows like that anymore. No, I see love and hip hop, right? At best, I see shows like uh, T.I. and Tiny, <laughs> right? It's supposed to be a family show, right? But T.I. and Tiny just got in trouble because they were giving girls drugs and having orgies with them. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a mess, man. It's a mess. And um, I think what really has to happen Right. The whole world is watching TV. And beyond that, the whole world is watching Instagram. Let's let's create some media that actually supports what would heal us. Let's create some media that would actually put the black man and the black woman back in good relationship with each other and actually say, you know what, I actually need you. Right. I I need you in order to, you know, move us forward. And, um, you know, you talk a lot about the great reconciliation and I'm looking forward to it. And you're living it. Like we've had some conversations about things that have been going on, you know, in, in our lives. And it's like, this is what we're living. Like the great reconciliation, like it's happening, you know, like we're on the leading edge of it, which is a really cool thing to, to feel. And, you know, I, I, I guess it's so funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking the same, like, okay, the great reconciliation, I won't fix all of it. And because it sounds like it's not, it's not magic like that. It's just a process that we're all going to go through. But, you know, that's why I really like what you do you know, with your podcast, which is being husband, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, and in, implicit in that is like, not just being a husband, but there's a wife component as well. And it's like, there's a practice component and like, we're learning this. Like I had a conversation with Tanner Guzzi, uh, it would have been a couple of weeks ago. And he was, he was saying about, he was talking about how, you know, even he and his wife, Brickley, who are wonderful and they have like, you know, the model of the traditional marriage, like they didn't start that way. You know, even though even though they're both both members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, because Mormon is they don't like to use, they're trying to move away from the whole church is trying to move away from using that term. Oh, yeah, so so uh, so trying to you know use the proper name, but you know even within that community, they had to rediscover what we might call traditional relationships on their own and like test it out, and until they got to a point that it actually like worked for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wouldn't expect that from Tanner and Berkeley because they just seem to do it so naturally. It's like. No, we had to work at this. Like, mm-hmm. it's the thing that we're all kind of learning as men that that we can be fit and successful and accomplished and and you know awesome and all these things, but then the next natural evolution is that we find a partner. And in order to find a partner for for us to be husbands and fathers, if our values are aligned a certain way, we need to find a woman who needs to deprogram herself from from feminism, whether overt feminism or covert feminism. These sort of ideas that are around in culture, right? That. Mm-hmm pigs or whatever like maybe they don't identify as a feminist but they have these ideas right they have to deprogram themselves and then that's the great reconciliation like oh i've never seen myself for the first time and i've never seen you for the first time as a man or a woman you know it's like mm-hmm. the amazing magical thing that's happening and like it, you know you're living it in a way yeah no for sure well and it's funny that you say it's work because it is man oh yeah it's like it, it was completely lost on maybe Gen X and boomers. Like it was completely lost with them because there was, I, I don't know. I don't, what do you make of that, man? Was it, was it just, was it just like a different economy? Like it was just, you know, there was a, there was more of a push, I guess, for, you know, cause you know, that generation, I would say boomers was kind of taught like, 
you know, maybe you never want to depend on a man perhaps or something like that. And, and, and I, I guess my main point that I'm trying to get at is I'm, I'm wondering if the reason that it was lost was squarely for economic reasons or was, was it, was it both econ, economic reasons and ideological ones as well? What do you think? hundred percent ideological. Like, okay. Yeah, I mean, the entire 60s were a psyop. I mean, they they mm-hmm. drugged up half of the, the entire youth culture to rebel as hard as they could against any sort of traditional values. Meanwhile, they're doing this massively unjust criminal war in in, in Vietnam and absolutely betraying the masculine. And and, and here's, here's John F. Kennedy trying to represent traditional family and masculine values, at least in the public sphere, like whatever was going on with his private life, private was kept private. And here's a man trying to be a real man, trying to push back against the powers of be. And they, they took, totally. him, you know what I mean? And LBJ was a terrible human being. And that's just documented now the things that he said. And yeah. so like, the entire thing was a psyop, you know what I mean? In, in, in very, in very conscious ways. And so like, yeah, there's an, there's an economic component as well, but I think a lot of it was ideological warfare and, you know, just about the boomers real quick, like I try, I, I try, I don't succeed. I try to be very forgiven of them because they were just as propagandized as every generation that came later, but they didn't have the benefit of, of, uh, of, of, the, of, I guess, radio in such a way, you know, like AM broadcast radio. They didn't have the benefit of the internet to show what was going on with them. They were just absorbing it as this completely new and novel, ahistorical thing. And they took it, they just absorbed it all and it warped their minds, Right. Where I, where I blame them is like, now would be a good time to start deprogramming yourselves, but they're hyper resistant to that. So that's where like, okay, now you're earning, now you're earning the scorn. Like if I show you the evidence and you still don't come around, now mm-hmm. it's your fault, but I, I won't forgive you for their naivety. But anyway, that's, that's sort of a tangent. But um, yeah, I think it was, I think it was very much ideological and economic at the same time and religious and spiritual too. Yeah. Well, and so we're, so, so imagine that, right? Like, <laughs> We're having to reach back two and three, four generations of stuff that's not even, it's, it is codified. I won't say it's not codified, but it wasn't practiced before us. And that you can, you can read literature and, and maybe watch examples or remnants of how it's supposed to go. It's much different in practice. It's much different in practice. Right. There's actually, there's a book that I learned about from Jack Donovan's book, uh, Way of Men. It's by Walter Newell, and it's called, uh, I think it's called Being a Man or something like that. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone listening. And what it is, is this compilation of quotes. It's a big, thick book too. You know, it's like 500, 600 pages. It's a compilation of quotes of various figures throughout history, from the ancient Greeks and the Romans all the way up until the modern day, talking about, and it's it's just segments, you know what I mean, compiled about different topics of masculinity that this guy just researched and put together. And they're very overtly about being a man. And so I think a lot of these ideas were kind of out there. Obviously they were, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a good man? What does it even mean to be good at being a man? All those, these ideas have been kind of out there and reflected on, but I think it's not, well, I know it's not until lately, like, and by lately, I mean the past 30 or 40 years where it's actually been necessary to actually, to think about it. Be like, well, what does it actually mean to be a man? Because we have no idea anymore. And there's something kind of cool and same with being a woman that's happening as well. And there's something kind of tragic about that. Obviously, like we lost something that's so fundamental to a being, but it's also kind of cool because we get to create it from scratch in this really new, in this really new way. It's like, mm-hmm. well, we had a chance to start all over again. Guess mm-hmm. what that's we've got? What are we going to do with it? You know, and yeah. that, to bring it back to the sovereignty part, that's that's why 
what you said about that is so important because sovereignty and agency are the foundations as far as I as far as I'm concerned about being a man. If you think of yourself as a victim, if you're waiting for a handout or if you're waiting for a lucky break and you know and you're not you're not working hard because just someday the money's going to land on you or someday the opportunity's going to land on you, that's not a very masculine place to be. Like you no. have that expectation and when you do that the thing shows up. But if you're sitting there just kind of waiting like oh Someday I'll, I'm just going to keep paying the lottery every day, and someday, someday my my dreams will come true. Like, well, that's not really that's not really masculine behavior. Like, the man shows up and and gets the job done, you know, and 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 does that, and that's how you become a man is by doing that. And so that's mm-hmm. the foundation of what we're talking about. And it's it's cool to see that showing up in so many different ways, in different communities, you know, and in the whole manosphere and the black manosphere as well. It's like, oh. How cool that we get to discover this thing and the idea is propagating wildly. I just oh, yeah. went off into the jungle on that one, but no, I mean, but you totally could. And I think that what one of what would be really cool is, you know, us embracing our sovereignty so much that we can stop feeling the need to put the ethnic or racial thing in front of our name and just say, you know what? I'm like, and you put it this way, I'm a man of agency. And I align myself with men of agency, race or whatever. doesn't really matter to me. Like that would be really cool. But I think until we can, as a culture, embrace, uh, and specifically black men, um, until we can embrace masculinity in general, I think we'll always lead with the black man trope. We'll always lead with the fact that we're black first. Mm-hmm. But when you can actually say, you know, I don't care what it is that I look like, I take care of my own. And I take care of me. When you can do that, you've, I mean, you, like I said, you've, you've, I would say you've graduated <laughs> in life because it's not about the, it's, and aesthetic, you know, when we talk about aesthetics or whatever, but it's not about your ethnicity. Your ethnicity is important, but it doesn't trump, it doesn't trump in the ability for you to be able to take care of your own. Like that's, that's fundamental. And that's fundamental across ethnic, uh, differences. And so, yeah, man, I, I, I hope that that's one thing that we can get into, but uh, I, I think that we, I think, I think most of us are still trying to sort out a lot of that stuff. I mean, if you want to call anything a psyop, I think that the, like race in general is a psyop, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we're really talking about ethnicities and, and melanin. It's really not about race in particular, like that whole deal of white, black or whatever. It's really, Race in general is I, I had no idea that like the whole term of black and white was something that came about uh, via Charles Darwin. Did you hear about this? Like the whole. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Now it's my turn to get my mind blown. Yeah. So uh, the origin of species, the whole title of it was apparently the origin of species and something about. I can't remember the title, man. It's going to kill me. But it's, it's something related the origin of species and uh, competing races, for lack of a better word. And so, yeah. Huh? Is that a book that Charles Darwin wrote? Or is that the full title of The Origin of Species? That, that is the full title of The Origin of Species. You can Google that. Fact check me if you need to. Um, no, you should. It's, it, and so this idea of this idea of varying ethnic groups competing for, you know, survival or sexual selection was something that he kind of actually laid the groundwork for. And from my perspective, ethnicity and race are two different things. 
Holy shit. The, on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races and the struggle for life. <laughs> Fucking my just, oh my God. Yeah, let that marinate for a minute, right? And so, and so, and so his, Charles Darwin was like low-key a racist. <laughs> like, yeah, amazing. The guy held up was like, oh, Dar- St. Darwin. Oh my God. Yeah, he literally created the dichotomy of races, right? And that was, you know, and that, you know, that goes into this whole idea. And so that's another thing that we can talk about is, you know, when, when, uh, when they brought blacks over, black men in particular, one of the things that they did regularly was actually rape them in front of other, right? Have you heard, you've heard about this? Right to emasculate him, right? And that was in large part because they wanted to assert dominance, right? They wanted to show that, you know, just because, I'm going to get a little graphic here, but just because he's got the big dick, I'm still the head honcho here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still the guy that runs this. And so you have this weird, it's, it's so weird, man, but you have this idea that is, an, is a, 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 an idea that came, you know, Charles Darwin was English, right? Wasn't he? Yeah, so you have this idea that's kind of percolating over here that races should be competing for, for sexual dominance and hierarchy, and that bleeds over on into transatlantic slavery. I mean, it's just, it's, it is a wild, wild world we live in, and it's still kind of a thing in some ways, right? Like, I, 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 I almost think that it's, it's interesting to me the need to push Black men in dresses from white men that own record labels. Like, I think that that's a fascinating idea to me. Not, again, I'm not wanting to make this a black or white thing. I'm just saying in regards to the mind of people that really think about this, that really want to compete from a racial perspective, like that's fascinating that that's still playing out today. Like that's still a thing that we do. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. What, What do you think about all that? I just kind of mind dumped on you. I've not really... I've not really had this conversation with a white guy before, but oh, this is this is great. That I was just, I, I I think what you're saying is exactly right. I was talking with David Whitehead on my on my podcast, and he's sort of a researcher into um, esoteric, you know, topics. Some of the stuff we're talking about, and what I and, and but he hadn't really studied masculinity before, and so mm-hmm. I was explaining like. If I were going to set out to destroy masculinity just as a whole, I would do everything that's being done already, including like injecting ideas into culture and in the schools and then, you know, plastics and soy and, you know, and, and, and shaming people who go to the gym and like really just depriving men of every sort, like calling them toxic and undermining their heroes and all that stuff. That's, that's what I would do. Right. And that's kind of what we're seeing. Right. It's like (laughs) you start pulling on one of the threads, the whole thing unravels like, oh, fuck. Yeah testosterone and sperm counts and i can actually see that like how would you undermine specifically black masculinity and that makes a lot of sense it's like because you're kind of if you're talking about the emasculation as sort of like the slaves end up serving the masters in a way like you're kind of doing the same thing when you see all the hip-hop artists and all the comedians like wearing dresses and just humiliating themselves in this way it's like and it's really really dark and they're you know they're pretending that they're look how powerful i am wearing this dress it's like i'm guaranteeing that you didn't put decide to put on that dress like it's like you know what i really want to wear today as a black man as a rapper i want to wear a dress today it's like yeah. no you didn't say that to yourself like that's that's obviously someone told you to do that and and mm-hmm. 
you know, Dave Chappelle highlighted, it's been highlighted before, and it's it's really tragic. It's really tragic because I think the effects, the 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 I guess I know that the black community and like any tri- any community is really tribally loyal. I mean, it's like, well, we all got to stick together, and so like no one's going to speak out, or it takes a lot of courage for someone to speak out and say, yeah, that's kind of fucked up, and I'm not down with that. Mm-hmm. Black card taken away. <laughs> but then everyone's kind of forced to consent to it. Like, yeah, no, that's fine. That's just a nice dress. Look good on him. <laughs> yeah. Those ideas propagate. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they would say, let him live. Let him live. My, you know, he's minding his own business. Like, let him live. And it's just like, you, you guys understand that these men influence an entire generation of young men. You understand that, right? Like, and... So, so this is the thing that gets me. This is the thing that really, really gets me is that we, we, talk, we talk a lot about white men keeping us down and that type of thing. But we, we sign up for oppression in a lot of ways. We sign up to not decide what we should wear. We sign up to not decide how we should dress. We sign up to decide how it is we're supposed to act. And like I said, man, like I don't, probably the most important book that I read and I wish more folks that looked like me would read is Brian Mickler's book, Sovereignty. Wow. That was a fantastic, fantastic and pivotal book. Cause I had actually never understood man is being sovereign. That was never a conversation. Never. I never had that thought prior to reading that book. And so I actually asked my dad about it because I said, dad, are human beings sovereign? Because I always understood God as being sovereign, but I never understood that man had a degree of sovereignty. He's like, yeah, you know, God, you know, when God made us in his image, he gave us a certain degree of of sovereignty, a certain degree of influence and and authority in life. And it never resonated with me that that was something that I needed to embrace in order to complete kind of this circle of, oh, so, so being responsible isn't just a good and noble thing to do. It's who I am, it's who, I'm, who I'm designed to be is responsible as a man. And it's not somebody else's fault ever when I'm going through something. It's something that I've got to deal with on my own terms and in my own way. And I can't wait for somebody. So Anyway, I went off on a tangent there, but that was a very important book for me to read, for sure. And I wish more of folks looked like me that would, that would read it. And i probably pass it off to my son. I got it. Well, I think it's actually in another room, but I got it on my bookshelf. Men, we're now almost halfway through 2021. Where's your fitness at? Is it where you want it to be? By this point, if you've listened to my podcast, you know what an important part of my story my fitness transformation was. It was something I'd wanted for a long time and a gift only I could give myself. I did, and it went on to change my life. And I'm just one of countless similar stories. I was motivated to do it on my own, but looking back I wonder what I could have accomplished with guidance and support. Enter Derek Arellano of Train Volition. Together, Derek and I assemble a special program called the Volition Renaissance, targeted specifically for my listeners. We work to merge our values. I encourage men to bravely embrace and cultivate their masculinity, and Derek celebrates men's desire for physical prowess and accomplishment, driven by his success as a top 10 U.S. bodybuilder. 
putting them together, Derek has developed a 12-week all-encompassing online program that embodies both. You kick off the program with a 30-minute consultation where Derek gets to know you and plots your trajectory. Then you get a training and nutrition plan tailored for you and your goals, whether they be weight loss, mass gain, sports performance, or rehabilitation at any age or stage of life. Then you get a mobile training app to track your progress, lifestyle coaching to help you cultivate habits for success, three PDF ebooks that outline Derek's philosophy behind fitness and nutrition, and finally, a direct line to Derek for support when you need it most. The purpose behind this offering isn't just to get you in shape, but to create your physical renaissance. Derek's brand is called Volition because it means making a choice, taking the path of effort, and using your willpower to achieve a goal. That's why he's the perfect partner for the renaissance of men. So to learn more and sign up for Volition Renaissance, visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen. That's volition, V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N, volitiontraining.com slash renofmen. Or to learn more about Derek, check out my podcast episode with him from this year entitled Fitness and Your Higher Self. Once again, to learn more, visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen to sign up now and start your physical rebirth. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great book. It's a great book. I mean, it's such an, it's such a powerful idea, a universally powerful idea for men. And I think what's, what's so tragic and what's so difficult for me to hear, but that I also totally understand is that it sounds like from within the black community, black community, there's specific resistances to this notion of sovereignty. Like if you assert your own sovereignty, you're somehow betraying, betraying the tribe, betraying the community. If you decide to go do your own thing, like that's a betrayal of of everyone who came before you. Like that's something that Kevin Samuels talks about, you know, when the critiques that are leveled at him, like who are you to be telling black women that they, they should be, I don't know, he doesn't say this, but less strong. Who are you to be telling black women they should be other than what they are? Like you owe black women. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the critiques that they level at him. It's kind of level. It's kind of like attempting to emotionally manipulate him through guilt. Mm-hmm. And like, that's certainly something that I've experienced coming, coming from the Jewish community in ways is like, no, we all stick together because that's what we do. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I hear that. And at the same time, like I'm like, like you, Jonathan, I'm responsible for my time on earth. Mm-hmm. There are enough circumstances where I found like the com- this community that's supposed to be there for me. They're only going to be there for me under a specific certain set of circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. There, are, there, are, there are qualities around like I, the, the, the ability to rely on that. It's not universal. Mm-hmm. So I'm responsible for my time on earth. I don't, I don't have any blame or judgment around that. It's just an observation that like, well, People have a tendency to let each other down. Welcome to earth. You know? <laughs> yeah. I can rely on myself and I want to rely on myself. And I find that the more that I do rely on myself, the better I feel. And my mm. life prospers around me. And mm. then to kind of like take a few steps beyond that and to look back and to see the way that I was like, oh my gosh, I was so, I was so dependent on a certain set of ideas that were fundamentally holding me back. And now I'm in this better place. And oh my God, I'm so much more alive. My eyes are brighter. I feel stronger and fitter. It's like, guys, why don't you come do this? It's like, sorry, no, we don't do that. What? Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. And it's, and it's, it's funny, man. Um, like, you know, I mean, you talked about this, uh, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. right? Like that's one of the things that I really respect and admire about Mal- Malcolm X was that he's, he was not, he understood that in order for us to be able to be considered equal, because that's the difference, is treated as equal and considered equal is a distinction that he made. 
And the, di- the difference that he would say is that in order for us to be considered equal is that we have to be sovereign. We have to take care of our own and we have to, what's that? Awesome. I get it. Yeah. Uh, to build our own house, build our own house and then build our own communities, build our own economy. And so that led him to kind of the black separatist uh, movement, which a lot of people don't, a lot of people think, oh, you just want to segregate yourself. And that wasn't his no. position. Um, it, it was about, it was about, we need to build our own communities and govern ourselves. And you're welcome to come voluntarily if you'd like to. You're welcome to be a part of this and come see it kind of like similar to what, you know, Harlem was maybe. Um, you're welcome to come see, you know, what we've got going on. But this is a community for us and by us. And we kind of control the dynamic here. And I think that was a good idea. Now, am, I say that and people are like, so you think black people and white people should separate? What are you, a segregationist? like, dude, Saying. are what? you like one dimensional? What do you say? I say the social justice warriors are the one who are segregationists. We're going to have the black graduation and we're going to have the black library and the, the college. Like that's segregationist, but you know, well, and it's coddling. Like I don't need, again, I don't need you. I don't need you. And people get really upset when I say that. I've told you that about guys on campus. Like there are people that really get upset when I tell them, uh, like, they're like, he's like, I want to apologize for my inherent racism. Oh my God. I was like, dude, <laughs> like go to hell. I don't need you to apologize for anything that you feel in your heart. Like that, deal with that with the Lord. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, cause you won't fight me. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Unless you're ready to like fight, like I'm not worried about your inherent racism. It's it's underwhelming to me. You know what I'm saying? Like pull up, pull up if you're really about the action. But if you're not, like I, it's, <laughs> I don't care about what you feel, your fuzzy feelings, you know. And dudes are like, "What? You don't want me to apologize?" And I'm like, "It's not affecting me. I don't care. Shit. I don't need you to like me, but I do need you to to respect me, and I need you to do right by me." And I'm not going to go, here's the thing, I'm not going to go out of my way to fit in your mold of what, what respect would be, right? If, if I'm, if I, if I get, you know, 30 pounds heavier and jacked, right? And you're, and you, and you feel like that's a threat to you, or you feel like that's somebody that you should disrespect. I don't care. Pull up, mm-hmm. pull up. If you're really, if you really want to uh, 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 have issue with me, then let's let's handle it man to man. But if you're ha- if, if if your only critique of me is that either you feel like I need to uh, you know feel some type of way because of your inherent racism, or or you want me to just you know tap, you know tap dance and put on a bow tie so that I can be viewed as respectable in in in, in your eyes, I'm not I'm not going to do either of those things. I'm not going to tap dance for you, and I'm not going to fit your mold or preconceived notion of who I need to be. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. So I'm not going to go out of my way to make you feel comfortable with my presence. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's so much going on in what you're saying. Like, I, cause I'm imagining, I'm imagining a, a white guy of whatever age walking up to you and just on one level, on the level of like man to man, your expression of sovereignty, like I don't need your approval. I am who I am, you know, for any man that would walk up that has absorbed his ideology 
that alone will be confronting. You know what I mean? Like when you're when you're a strong, confident, grounded man in yourself who radiates authenticity and masculine power, it's really off-putting to a lot of men. They don't know how to deal with it, you know, just on that level. So just on that level, he's probably knocked back on a on his heels. But to but the the to imagine the dynamic of like of how he thinks that's going to go down. He's gonna walk up to you, and let's just say his intentions are genuine and it's not some sort of virtual signaling. Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt and say he really feels like, you know what, I feel bad for being white very sincerely because he's a good hearted person, right? And I'm going to walk up and I'm going <laughs> to cringe into my own fucking navel thinking about this, but like, you know, like he's going to walk up and he's going to apologize for his inherent whiteness. And you're going to be like, thank you. I really appreciate you. I abs- pay absolvo. I absolve you of your sin of whiteness or something. <laughs> and you're like, I don't care. This doesn't affect me. And <laughs> He's getting he's getting all like ginned up to give you that what he thinks is this gift of his of his confession of, of original sin. And you're like, this has nothing to do with me. And it's like, <laughs> oh, spins and falls back and you know gets swallowed up in a car. Oh. oh, yeah. Okay. Well, he, 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 he hits the Greta Thunberg. He's how dare you? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> clutches his pearls. How dare you? You know, and it's like, dude, I like. <laughs> honestly, dude, like like and this is me being real, like I'm going to really upset some people um good i look at that man that does that as less of a man mm-hmm. same you're pathetic <laughs> yeah i agree you're pathetic you, you are apologizing for being here for sneezing for scratching your ass i mean you're you, you know what i'm saying you have embraced being a worm and i just i can't i I don't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to talk to you. And I know you mean well, like I'm sure that this is from the bottom of your heart. But my my dude, you need to get to know the Lord and you need to get to know that you're made in the image of God before you talk to me. I can't talk to you if you think you're a worm. Because here's the thing. If that's your place in life, you're really not trustworthy because Everything that you do is going to be for the validation of somebody that looks like me. And what if that person that you're seeking validation from that looks like me has nefarious intentions? You're going to switch it up. You don't have a code. You know what I'm saying? You don't have a code. What you do is you wait for people to, to love and show you affection or validation before you make a move. And that's a guy that'll turn on you. Mm hmm. I can't trust that guy. Right. So yeah, I please respectfully leave my presence because I can't. <laughs> me and you can't do business together. We can't hang out because you're you've you've assumed the position of something servile, and I just <laughs> I'm just too grown, man. <laughs> I can't I can't do it. <laughs> word you you nailed the exact world word servile. Yeah, think that I mean it's 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 really just bastardized Christianity, right? In a way, it's like his original sin is whiteness, and if he takes a knee to you, putting yes. you in the place of Jesus or God, that you will absolve him of his sin, and he can be free, without recognizing that whatever sin or shame he feels, you can't ultimately absolve him of that, because in the best case scenario, what happens in that moment? What do you like? But when you say some magic words that say. I forgive you for being white. And then he gets up and then does he go walk around for the rest of his life? Like, congratulations, I've been forgiven for my privilege. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. You can't absolve him at all. He carries that around forever 
And does he apologize to every black person that he sees? Like he's in prison. He's in a mental form of prison where now he's he is literally servile. And like the right response to him would literally be everything that you just said. You know, I mean, maybe maybe not like your pathetic get away from me word. Maybe not so much that. But yeah. <laughs> well, I, well, actually, no. I'm reading a book right now that talks about the masculine and feminine modes of healing, and that the the feminine mode of healing is. Let's all just sit down and get super safe and talk about what's going on inside ourselves. And that has a place for some, you know, that's like therapy. You know what I mean? You spend a lot of time with a therapist and you open up and that has a, that has a way of releasing stored up trauma. That's worked for me. That worked for me. Yeah. There's another form of healing that's, that could be called masculine and interventionist where you actually, and this is what Kevin Samuels does. He's actually trying to provoke a response, not intentionally like with the intent, but he's like, he's getting in there and saying, that's wrong. That is wrong, and I'm now intervening in your belief system to make to make a realization pop out of you. And like by saying you're pathetic or you're a worm or words to that effect, you could actually potentially wake him up to realize like, wow, I can't believe that I was thinking that. And in that moment, it's not your responsibility, but in that moment, you actually have a have if that happens again, if you can sit him down and explain it to him, you might be actually be able to save a man and say like, look, this idea that you have about who and what I am or what I need or whatever, this idea is wrong. Like it makes you a servant of me and that's not what I want. And you shouldn't want that for yourself because once you become a servant to someone, they can then betray you, right? Mm -hmm. No man should be a servant of another man. I thought we were trying to get past all that, not invert it the other way. Exactly. We, we should all, and I should tell them that we, are, we should all be servants to God, mm -hmm. right? Because the way he's going to set it up is going to be good and true and beautiful, but I might switch it up on you someday. Right. The other guy down the street might switch it up on you one day and get you to do something demeaning or devaluing to your personhood. And that's anyway, I can go off on a tangent, but it's really difficult to. Um, to deal with that, particularly because it's exhausting, because now I have to deal with your emotional baggage and I won't deal with your emotional baggage. Any guy that comes to me that feels sorry about anything that he's got going on. I just, I don't have time. Like I have a limited amount of F's to give in a day. And most of those go to my wife and my son. So like your, whatever you got happening, like I, I can, I can maybe hear you out to a point, but at some point I can't be your dump guy is what I'm saying. And that's really, so I've had to, so to be honest with you, and it's probably unhealthy, but I've had to actually, um, I've had to like cut out a lot of like, friends on campus or associates on campus because everybody wants to, and I work on a college campus for those of you that don't know, um, every last person on campus that is white wants to apologize for that, for being that. And it's exhausting, man. If you, you're taking a deep sigh relief, that's me literally every day, bro. Like everybody's like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, is that like a microaggression? And I'm like, I don't even really know what that means. I really don't understand what that means. I don't. Like either you're aggressive or you're not. Either, either you say something, like literally the N-word with a hard R. You either clearly say that or you don't say that. But all this other stuff is just, I mean, you guys are finding reasons to, to hate yourself. <laughs> and it's a terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, anyways, I, I go off on that for a minute, but um, 
Yeah, you masculine therapy is just kind of prod. Maybe maybe that's what I need to be doing. Maybe I just need to kind of poke the bear a little bit and see and see what happens. I usually try to keep it more tame, so I don't actually say you're a worm and that you're servile and that type of thing. Usually, I just I just say, hey man, like wasn't even on my radar. Wasn't even a thing that I thought about. You know. Well, it could potentially be quite an effort to try. I mean, you would have to be. You'd have to invest quite a bit of time in a man to try and get him to see in the way. I mean, maybe you listen back to this podcast and like and just cut out the bit that you said everything in there and rehearse that speech because you actually said it very concisely in a way that would have landed, you know, that I imagine would land for for any man with a basic grasp of education that certainly of English and that also landed for me, you know, because there are ways to say magic words where it's like, excuse me, maybe the guy wouldn't get it in the moment, but he'd be like, he would hold a mirror up to him in a certain way. Be like, this is what you, this is what you're doing, and mm-hmm. you don't need to do that. And here's why you don't need to do that. And here's why what you've been told to think is good is actually really bad. And as a man of God, as a Christian man, I can say that to you because I answer to a higher authority than the color of my skin or what people who are my skin color tell me I have to believe. And that's the thing that everyone has to kind of transcend is like whatever you're being told to believe by whatever terrestrial source, like that's limited. That's completely open to propaganda, manipulation. I don't care if you listen to a politician. I don't care if you listen to a preacher or a priest or a pope or a musician or an athlete, whoever you listen to. If you're listening to the word of man, you're going to be manipulated, consciously mm-hmm. otherwise. you got to listen to the Word of God. And as soon as you can step up to that, you can stand on top of the Word of man and look down and be like, wow, it's fucked up in there. <laughs> and you got to get a man to that point because you can't do it without God. If you're always looking around at different mm-hmm. men to listen to, like, who's the right man? Who's the right man to listen to? It's like, no, no, they're all going to let you down, unfortunately, probably. Mm-hmm. Who knows, right? Like, who can say for sure? But really, the Word of God won't let you down if you interpret it right. And so it's, it's better to plant your feet there. And so it's really important that you try to guide him out of this Word of man that has him imprisoned in seeing himself and seeing you in a certain way that's really mm-hmm. fatiguing. It's fatiguing to you to have to carry that. And it's probably super fatiguing to him to be, you know, to all the all the white people on campus who are like seeing themselves this way. And it's like, this is not a healthy human relationship. This is not how people are meant to relate to each other in a constant state of like, I need you to apologize to me. I need you to, that's, that's, that's a dysfunctional relationship. And you got to get out of that. It's abusive, man. It, it really is. And again, it's, uh, it's something that I, like I said, one, the black manosphere mm-hmm. uh, is not necessarily where I got my first I would say kind of first taste of a lot of these ideas, but it was definitely, it kind of put me back at home with the ideas. And I want to speak a little bit about that because um, the reality is like, I'm reminded every day, like of who I am in terms of being black, right? Because whether you're, whether you're, you know, racist or not a racist, like it's, it's, we, everybody talks about it all day long. You know what I'm saying? Left, right, or whatever. Like it's a conversation that's always happening. And so when you can, um, when you can go through a lot of this material, right? Cause I'm a guy that's interested. I'm a curious guy, um, go through this material and everybody that is talking about it, you know, doesn't really look like you. You're like, I'm, I'm not really affected. Right. Cause I know who I am. I know what I'm about, but to lie and say, well, it doesn't necessarily matter or I don't see color. It's just, it's not true, right? So to be able to see somebody, you know, quote from my tribe, at least ethnically, right? Talk about these things really kind of helped me resonate. Okay, like I'm not alone, number one. 
And then number two, like, this isn't just, you know, and that's one of the things that's so bastardized is that, you know, this idea of that's what white men do, like even with the hunting thing, like to be able to see other black men now being connected to this community, to see other black men that hunt, it's like, wow, like, and then to even be connected to this idea, you know, I'm going to a trip to South Africa um, here next year uh, for, you know, my first time in South Africa to go on a hunt and um, to look at, you know, the history of, of, you know, obviously African hunters, right? We all were, we all were hunting back in the day to be con- reconnected to that um, is really beneficial. And that really proves this idea that you and I talked about earlier that, you know, I'm a, you know, from a religious standpoint, I'm a Christian, but then I'm a man first before I'm ethnically divided, I'm a man. And so being able to see other men that looked like me helped me to understand, okay, this is not a black thing or a white thing. It's a man thing because it's, it's transcending ethnicities here. A lot of these ideas about masculinity, about manhood, aren't just given in the manosphere where it's all white faces. These are ideas that other men that look like me have latched onto. So now I understand I'm not thinking like a white man. I'm thinking like a man. And that was really beneficial for me to really come home to. And so, you know, take it for, you know, I think it's weird that we have the black manosphere and the white manosphere. I think that's a weird division that we have. But one of the blessings is for, you know, guys that look like me that are coming into the space. Um, it allows us the opportunity to say, okay, well, number one, I'm not alone. And number two, this isn't a white guy thing. This is, this is about masculinity and something much greater than just, uh, you know, our ethnic dividing lines. That's really, that's really powerful for me to hear um, because when I started uh, the Renaissance of Men, I did a I did a story um, on, on Instagram about um, where are the warrior cultures of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at um, the Renaissance of Men as like the the Renaissance as t- as in the historical process as men waking up to their inner warrior natures right to be to be warriors in the most complex sense you know not conductors of violence but the king warrior magician lover or as jack donovan says the sky father the striker and the lord of the earth those kind of archetypes that i'm all rolling in and calling a warrior because the way that manifests in life is with a certain warrior spirit against modernity right so the manosphere in general in my experience has been mostly white men discovering their warrior nature that's not the totality of it but i was looking around and being like well okay this warriorship, this is universal because you can look at art from around the world and you can look at the samurai culture and you can look at African tribesmen and you can look at the Hindu warrior caste and you can look at the, the, the jaguar warriors of the Mayans and the Native American warriors. It's like these notions of masculinity are universal. They're truly universal. They have different expressions, we might say racially or culturally or ethnically or whatever the right word is, but it's all the same set of values. Produce more than you consume. Agency, you know, responsibility, accountability, authority, capability, all these things. These are universal human male values. Why are they showing up more in this community, in this, when you say ethnic community, than they are in other communities? Like, for example, it's fantastic that there's a manosphere and there's a black manosphere, but like, where's the Japanese, the J- J- Japanosphere? You know, yeah. where is that? Where's the, where's the Mexicanosphere or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, so this has been a big question for me is like, what is it 
like, because these values are universal. What is it within these communities? Is there a resistance? Is that it hasn't propagated far enough? It's like, because in the articulating in the Black community, there's this idea of kind of self-understanding that's resistant to these notions of sovereignty that are fundamental to masculinity. You know, masculinity expresses through sovereignty. And and I, I wanted to ask, like, because this is something that's shown up in other places through my travels, is that there are lots of cultures in the world, uh, India being one of them, um, uh, and also China as well, where on the surface they appear to be very, quote, patriarchal. But behind the scenes, behind closed doors, it's actually the grandmother or the mother that has the most power. Like out in society, it's the men, but really it's the women. And, and, I, I'm in, and that, to me, would seem to make sense why these communities would be resistant in a way that this idea of patriarchy is definitely not a universal thing that, that you can't see beneath the surface, but it is actually matriarchal. And, and I'm curious if that's the Black community as well and if there's some challenge, because you mentioned that feminism has really taken hold in the Black community in a really unique and powerful way. Is it playing off these kind of matriarchal ideas? I know we're getting to the end of the time. Maybe there's a big question for next time, but like, is it kind of playing off of some of the, those ideas? Is that kind of what goes on behind the scenes in the Black community as well? Because that could explain where like, maybe Black warriorship has something to overcome of the mother in its own way, which could be very powerful. Yeah. Well, I, and I think... I think there's something to that, Will. Um, is it? It's interesting. Is is it? Is black culture matriarchal or patriarchal in nature? That's a really good question, man. Um, because I think, I think when you when you look at <laughs> hmm, when you look historically, maybe like Africa, maybe. I think that there is a greater degree, take Egypt, for example, right? There was a greater degree of worship, I think, that uh, you had with, you had with the women that led, led in Egypt. You know what I'm saying? So I'd have to look back at the history of Africa, but I think that there, I think you could say that it was matriarchal, but as it relates to, you know, us coming over here, and being in America, I don't know. I actually don't know. Um, I'd say in my household that my my mom is uh, she's definitely strong, and there's definitely a strength. I, I tell guys all the time when it comes to when it tells the uh, black woman, I said you really have to be a strong black man to deal with a black woman. You you can't be weak. You can't be weak. She she won't tolerate it. In fact, I know in some cultures, this is interesting. You need to hear about this. The uh, rite of passage is to go on a hunt in some African cultures, right? And this is historical. This isn't black culture. This is African culture. So there's a distinction there Um, because the point and the reason there's a distinction is because we lost some of that during transatlantic slavery. There's some, there's a degree of separation. So that's why I made that distinction. But uh, in African culture, if you, so the boy would go out on the hunt, he'd be left in the woods by himself. If he did not come back with a kill, it was actually his mom that would beat him. It's the mother of that boy that would beat him. Have you heard about this? No. <laughs> it's, it's wild stuff. So the men of the community would go, they take this boy, they put him in the middle of you know the wilderness and he'd have to come back and bring him back and kill him. And if he didn't, then his mom would beat him. And so- Talk about shaming. Shaming, yes. <laughs> and so I, uh, I think, and just thinking about that example alone, I think that there is a degree of strength and leadership that is in the black community in regards to women to call it purely matriarchal 
like, and I'm again, I'm ca- carrying it over, right, from Africa to here. And even when you think about just this idea of, uh, you know, strong black woman, right? Like that's something that's carried over from that same idea that I'm talking to you about in African culture. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a, there may even be a competition between the sexes in some way. I don't know. I really, I'm going to have to really sit down with that. Um, Cause when I think about the way that it's set up, like in my household, I would say that my dad was definitely the spiritual leader. Like I would say that it was definitely patriarchal. But to act as though my mom didn't have some strength and some sway, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was, t- and, and, and honestly, like I think faith played a huge role into it as well because there's some, you know, maybe some natural strength that wanted her, that she wanted to like push back. But she knew that, you know, based on our faith, based on Christianity, that, the, you know, wives are to submit to your husbands, you know, as the church submits to God. And so, so all that to say, from an ethnic perspective, just sitting here thinking about it, I would say it's probably matriarchal. And I think that faith has definitely played a role, at least with us, that it, it remains patriarchal. But I think if you don't have that, I think that it is matriarchal. And even, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, bro, but I got to say this. Um, Even if you look at a lot of the African pagan uh, religions, most of them worship like goddesses, like Iowa is one, you know what I'm saying? So like even their hierarchy from a religious perspective is matriarchal. Like it's not a father that they worship. It's a mother that they worship. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think that, I think that some of that carries over again into like, and I don't want to call it, it's in our DNA, but it kind of is like, you know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of in our DNA in some respects to have like um, a matriarchal type system. And I think that, I think, I think faith and religious tradition play a huge role into how that's actually divided up. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, there's no judgment around, um, matriarchy or patriarchy, uh, you know, in this, I think, I think at the moment matriarchy is kind of like counterproductive given the way that society has kind of been taken over by the feminine principle and we're not able to talk about it rather than, and sort of out of balance towards the feminine. And so, you know, a matriarchy will be resistant to reestablishing balance with the masculine. So it's counterproductive, but matriarchies aren't inherently bad. But it does make sense that if you have a religion that looks more towards the fertility of the earth and that is feminine versus an organizing sky father from above, if you're if you're less focused on the sky father and more focused on the earth mother in terms of religion, it's natural that that would manifest in uh, the the tribal structure where, yes, maybe excuse me, maybe the the chief of the tribe has the, the material the material power, you know, he's obviously yeah. physically stronger and a conqueror and a warrior and control can control the men, but like behind, behind the scenes, like, is he going to consult with a female Oracle who is the true power behind the, yeah. that's the movie 300, right? Like in 300, there's Leon, King Leonidas, but what does he, who does he go to talk to about what to do? He goes and consults the, the Oracle or whatever, who's a woman, you know, dancing and all that stuff and, and all that. And so like, you know, there can be some elements of that, like, well, who, where does the actual, where does the actual power come from? Um, you know, versus like, where do you, uh, does it come from the earth up 
you know, or does it come from the sky down? And there's yeah. there's a case to be made that both of those have different effects, but certainly Christianity is sort of a sky down kind of thing. And so I think a Christian could potentially maybe, although this doesn't play out at the moment, could potentially be more, um, more, uh, I guess, amenable to taking on masculine values because the God reflected is masculine versus if you have a culture that looks to its God as a woman, then the taking on of masculine values could potentially be very threatening to the community and there would be an extra layer of resistance to that. For sure. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it breaks down even too with different countries in Africa too, because then you've talked about Ethiopia as well, right? With Ethiopia having one of the oldest uh, Christian communities. And so, like, I, I wonder, well, and, and you've talked about this before, right? Ethiopia was the only, one of the two only countries in Africa that wasn't colonized. <laughs> so, like, I think that there's something to be said, too, if we're talking about, you know, patriarchy as it relates to, you know, defense, military defense as well. Um, so, maybe that's a, that might be a whole, a whole other podcast. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> These notions of masculine and feminine are so are so fundamental in a psychological sense and they're so fundamental in a religious sense. And I think we, we lack the ability to talk about them today because everything is so out of whack. It's out of, of the, it's out of whack gender wise. It's out of whack uh, racial wise. Like we have to be able to talk about these things and take the pieces apart and put the pieces back together and figure out and figure out what's going on. And we're kind of like on our own doing this, you know, kind of these experience a great personal risk in some ways, but it's like, it's absolutely necessary to do because how else are we going to figure out what's going on? Even though, you know, what politics, we're talking politics, we're talking religion, we're talking gender and sexuality, and we're talking race. Like, we're talking about all the things that you're not supposed to talk about, like right now. But <laughs> how else are we going to get anywhere? So I think there's a lot more to explore. Yeah, 100%. My, well, you can see my screen went completely black. I didn't, I didn't cut any lights on. So <laughs> it's all dark. And As the sun was setting, you were slowly disappearing. <laughs> And I'm a black, I, well, it's a black guy in a black room. So all my walls are black. So you just, you, you, you don't even know where I am. <laughs> I'm camouflaged now. Oh my gosh. I, I, you can't even see my teeth, man. Cause the blinds are shut. So it's like, I'm trying to like smile and like maybe give you a glimpse of some life here. And it's just like, not there. <laughs> it's not like a, it's not like the cartoons. <laughs> And the funny thing is, like, I'm not even dark. I'm like light skinned. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like kind of brown. So it's just, it's a shame. It really is a shame. <laughs> I probably should have gone white walls, or but I don't know. Yeah, exactly. black man against the black walls in the middle. <laughs> stacked against you. Deck is stacked against me, man. It is. <laughs> Back's against the wall, man. It's that privilege, dog. You know what I'm saying? I just can't get ahead. <laughs> Light privilege. You don't have light privilege. Light privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Light privilege is is away from me right now. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You actually need my reparations, bro. Give me my reparations. I'll PayPal you. Venmo me, baby. <laughs> send just send me a request for an amount. Like that'll be my penance to you. It sounds good. It sounds good. And make sure in the description you put it's for my whiteness and my lightness. <laughs> be careful I'd actually do feed <laughs> <laughs> like reparations <laughs> that would actually I don't honestly bro that would actually be funny yeah to see that on the feed like I I normally put my stuff private but I would actually have to leave that one on public because I think people would get a kick out of that okay I think we can do that 
<laughs> this is good, man. Um, well, anything else we need to cover? Like we covered a lot of ground, dude. No, I think I think we're probably I think we've probably covered covered it all for now. Although we can keep going for another three to four hours as well. Probably will and get into all kinds of stuff. But honestly, man. I really appreciate what it is that you do with the Renaissance Men. I appreciate you putting, uh, which I don't know is that Will has put together at least 12 chat rooms um, for, each, for all of us to have conversations about this and UFOs and just everything, literally everything. So, Will, I appreciate you doing what you say you're going to do and bringing men together. Thank you. I really appreciate that, Jonathan. I appreciate your contribution to all these chat rooms as well, because, you know, I believe very much in conversation. I'm a guy who likes to talk and I like to find other men who also like to talk. And it's it's really important that we have the free space to explore ideas as crazy as possible, because keeping these things in and not being able to talk about them or or, or whispering them in hushed tones, like, no, it's actually important that we surface the stuff to discover what's true and what's not. And that's one of my highest values. And, and I appreciate, you know, uh, we met in one of those, in one of those rooms and I think it was in Chattestan barbarianism and, and because we all have the ability to speak freely and, and you and I have platforms to communicate and it's just, it's all flowing from there, from, from men finally having the space to come together and, t- and talk as men about things that we're not supposed to talk about. And you've contributed to a lot of that. And, and uh, I really appreciate that because you've proven true a lot of things that I've believed about men and masculinity as well. So thank you for that. No, anytime, man. Anytime. Oh, man. Every time, I got to say this, every time I get done talking with you, I feel like I just need a glass of water or lemonade because it's like... It is, we put so much of our soul into this stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, and with everything you got going on, you're putting a lot of heart into it. And so keep at it um, and just, man, make sure you refresh yourself. Cause I got to refresh myself, man. This is, this is, we're connecting so many different dots and so many different areas that are supposed to, like you said, that are taboo that I, I, I think it can, I think it can be exhausting, but I also think that it's necessary for us. It's necessary work for us to do in a time like this, because everything is so categorized and sterile, nothing's real. Mm-hmm. And so having this conversation as exhausting as it is, and as important as it is, it, uh, it needs to happen. And so keep drinking from the fire hose, man. <laughs> You know, to, to feel, I love the feeling of my mind straining to put, you know, to cast off ways of thinking and to, to put pieces together. And it's not well understood how much energy the brain uses because we talk a lot about, you know, in this world of men about fitness and calories in, calories out and macronutrients, you know, like burning this much is like, we don't talk about how much energy we can use with our brains and how good that can feel in its own way. So thank you. Oh, anytime, man. Anytime. Well, until our next conversation. Yeah. <laughs> probably be tomorrow in the in the group chat but until our next one <laughs> virtually exactly. virtual conversation i will i will stand against a completely white wall and, and bleach my bleach myself out so i can i can disappear into my background next light privilege <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually going to subtitle this episode light privilege light privilege you should that'll be good in the renaissance to light privilege <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it dude let's do it 
Well, have a wonderful dinner with your wife feeding her venison, your hunted, your hunted venison, the most manly shit I've ever heard of. Yeah, sounds good. I, I will definitely do that. And and when I do it, um, I'll remember this conversation about light privilege, right? Just do it in the dark. Do it in the dark. I actually, you know what? That's actually a good idea. We're actually just doing it in the dark. And uh, and if if we need if we need some light, we'll call you up and you can just shine. You know what I'm saying? How does it feel? Let me say, ask you this: How does it feel to be associated with goodness and truth? How does that feel? Oh, it it, it feels amazing. I walk. Around. <laughs> <laughs> What am I supposed to say to that? Of, of you can't, there's nothing you can say. I literally put you on blast. So it's we can we can hang it up right here. It's fine. Because there's nothing else to say after that. I'm just going to clip that out and put that on, I don't know, on Twitter or something. Like, Did you hear what Will said? Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll be derailed. They'll, they'll ban your Twitter if you say that. Oh, my gosh. It'll just be my second Twitter that's banned. So. Are you serious? You've been banned? I didn't know you were banned. Oh, yeah. I, they, I, had, I originally had at Ren of Men, and then I guess I, I, I retweeted something with Donald Trump's name in it, and my, my account got, got locked down, and all I could do was read. I couldn't like. I couldn't retweet. I couldn't send DMs. I couldn't follow. Like I couldn't send tweets. It was like hard lockdown. Like I hadn't done anything. I just retweeted a tweet with Donald Trump's name in it, and it was like, bam, instantly. Absolute madness. That is crazy. Yeah. So, I'll, you know, I'll just go for a number. I'm, I'm much more careful with this account, but I, I probably should be. So, yeah. Yeah. In order to, that's something you have to think about too, man, is like, let's push the conversation forward. But we're gonna, in order to do that, like we have to be visible. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> that's just what it is. It's the man hiding in darkness. There's the man literally shrouded. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let me cut a light on, man. <laughs> Some of my light privilege. Yeah, you need to reject your inherent racism. <laughs> Am I going to apologize now? I'd like to apologize, Jonathan, for my inherent light privilege. Oh, there he is. I've there it is. If you want to be, hey, if you apologize for your light privilege, you can do that, but just know you're going to be called a worm by me. Oh, um, I think it's a bug man. <laughs> I can feel that in my chest now. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh no, okay. Oh my gosh. Now I'm gonna go ahead and uh I get this cooked up and we can get it going. And uh, like I said, I'm I'm proud of you, man, for everything you got going on for real. This this is you bringing everybody together is next level. I feel like it's the Avengers every time I hop on that chat and every time I hop on the microphone. It, it really is. It's a good thing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I I just I just that really lands for me. So thank you. I'm I'm grateful to bring a bunch of strong men together for a common purpose. Yeah, anytime, man. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.